The following audio is from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcclayton.com. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. The title of the message is Gospel Pictures. And so what we're going to do this morning uh, in these two verses, uh, Paul lays out five pictures of the gospel and how it should work in our lives. Uh, and so we're going to talk through those um, pretty quickly. And then uh, to close out the service this morning, we're going to celebrate another picture, another symbol of God's grace in our lives. That is uh, the Lord's Supper. And so that's, that's where we're headed this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And if you will, uh, stand with us this morning as we read uh, these verses together. This. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Pray that as we take a look at these different pictures that are presented, that you will uh, allow your word to speak to us, uh, that, that it would speak to our hearts, show us how um, you want us to live as people uh, who are uh, living in the gospel, who are being saved through the gospel. We ask all this in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you very much. So what we see here this morning um, is that today's passage is going to kind of conclude the section that Paul started in chapter 1, verse 15, where he goes into this song of praise. Um, and, and what he says there is, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so what we see, verses 15 through 20, um, is, is that all praise and all glory belong to Christ, the image of the invisible God. And then he goes and explains what we find in Christ. For instance, uh, in Christ we find this reconciliation to God, which is verses 21 through 23. Then he shows this revelation of the mystery of Christ, verses 24 through 27. talks about the sufferings that are, that are a part of being a believer. Uh, then, he, then verses 28 and 29, chapter 1, he talks about believers' um, perfection, that, that we may present everyone mature in Christ, and talks about, for this I toil. And then last week, uh, as, as he talked about the struggles that he has on behalf of the believers, he talks about this wisdom or this knowledge of God's mystery, which is Jesus Christ. And, and so this morning, we, with verses 6 and 7, we finish out this section, and this is the transition from the introduction of his letter into his purpose for writing. So everything up to this point, the last eight or nine weeks, have been introduction. And so now he's going to get into the body of his letter, and as I've said, this is going to fly um, once we, once we get into chapter 2, once we, I, I know I've been saying that for a while, I promise it's going to fly when, when we get here, and, uh, and we, will be, um, we will be finished with the book of Colossians about midway through February, so, so we're getting close. Um, but this is what he says here this morning. Uh, we're going to look at five pictures Paul uses to describe our relationship with Christ, and we're going to close our time by celebrating the, the picture of the Lord's Supper. Um, 
So let's look at, this, at these verses. Therefore. So every, when he says, therefore, you've got to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore, right? Why is it there? If he says, therefore, that means we've got to back up. And so everything he's been saying to this point um, leads us to this, okay? Um, as what, what's coming is a result of all that we've heard so far. It's, it's a result of us being reconciled to God, of the praise that he gave to God, of uh, the wisdom that's found in Christ Jesus. This is the result of what all that should be. Okay? Um, and then he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So he's speaking to believers. He's speaking to men and women. If you, if you came last week, uh, last Sunday night, to uh, the video study the explicit gospel, as, as Matt Chandler said, and as I've been saying for a while, Paul is going to constantly be preaching the gospel to people who have received the gospel. He, he's constantly telling folks who've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, who know what it means to be saved, the gospel. And, and in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, he says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Okay, so if you're a believer in Christ, you have received this. Okay, so you've received the message of Christ. And, and not, only is, not only have we received the message of Christ, but as believers, the, gospel, the, the, the Scriptures, the Gospel is very clear that we have received Christ himself. Not just the message about Christ, we have received Christ. Okay, and so that brings us to this first picture. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. You hear us talk about quite a bit your Christian walk. It's not a run, it's not a sprint, it's a walk. Sometimes it's a crawl, right? Okay, so walk in Him. Now, Here's the thing about it. Um, as far as using this term walk, Paul already used this in chapter 1, verse 10. So if you go back to chapter 1, it says this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And he's going to use it two more times in the book of Colossians, in chapter 3, verse 7, and in chapter 4, verse 5. So we've got more walking ahead of us, all right? But he, is, he, he refers to the Christian life as a walk. And in, in the book of Ephesians, Paul uses this idea seven times. So this is a central theme in a lot of Paul's writings that we should walk in Christ. In Ephesians 2.10, you'll recognize this verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's this idea almost of a pilgrimage, that, that as we go throughout our lives, we walk not only, um, we, we don't only walk, we walk in Christ, right? And, and so that's what he says here in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Um, this, this idea of being in Christ is central to Colossians. He, he uses this, this phrase, in Christ or in him, 15 times throughout the four chapters of Colossians. This is number six, and we're in the beginning of chapter two. 
So, th- so this idea that we are in Christ is central to the book of Colossians. And so he calls us to walk in him. So that's the first thing. We are to walk, not, not on our own. As the, as the great gospel song says, you'll never walk alone. We walk in Christ. We walk with Christ. That's the first. Second idea starts off verse 7. Rooted. So we are rooted in him. This is an agricultural term, of course. Idea of a tree with deep roots. Um, we're not to be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, as Ephesians 4.14 says. Rather, we are to be rooted in the faith, firm. We're to be like this man in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 8. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We're to be like a tree planted by water, unmovable. Now, if, you're like, if you've been in a Baptist church for any amount of time, you might have heard someone use that verse about change, right? We're not going to change because we're, we're like a tree ran by the water. We shall not be moved. Um, and, and so a lot of people have taken that quite literally. And so if you sit in their place, in their pew on Sunday morning, uh, they shall not be moved, okay? So you, you, will, you will kindly or not so kindly be asked to remove yourself uh, because that is where, that is their stream and they have planted themselves by it, okay? That's not quite what he means, Okay? It's, it's not what he means. He means that our roots are planted in the gospel so that whatever changes may occur, whatever, uh, whatever happens to our culture, I shall not be moved. I am planted. I am firm. My feet are in the gospel. That doesn't mean we don't look for ways that we can impact culture, maybe in, some, in our communities, maybe in some ways that we haven't done it before. It means that when all is said and done, we have roots that are solid in the gospel. And, and so we can go out into the world as we're called to, right? Be, be in the world, not of it. You can't remove yourself from the world. This is where we live. But as I go out into the world, I can know that I am planted firmly in Christ and in his word. Um, and, and here's the interesting thing. Now, I don't know a whole lot of Greek, um, but I have books written by really smart guys who do, and so I can go and read them, and they can tell me what, what the Greek means. And, and what, what it says is, what, what I read is that this Greek word of rooted is in the perfect tense. Okay? And, and in Greek, the perfect tense means that it is a completed action with present effects. Okay? Um, so it could be translated once and for all having been rooted. And this also goes back to this idea, the gospel is not simply something that saved me, the gospel is saving me. So when I, when I came to Christ, I was rooted in the gospel, and I am still rooted. Once and for all, having been rooted, I have not been uh, uprooted, my, my foundation is firm, my roots are deep in the gospel. They were set there when I accepted Christ, and they are still there, and they will continue to be there, right? This goes back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. We, we looked at 3 and 4 a while ago. This is 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, 
which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So this gospel is past. If, if you accepted Christ, there was a time in the past where you made that decision. Maybe you walked an aisle, maybe you prayed a prayer. You, you said, I, I make Jesus my Lord and Savior, and today I still make him my Lord and Savior. I was rooted, I continue to be rooted. That's the second picture. So we have this idea of a walk. We have this idea of being rooted. The second one, uh, chapter seven says, or verse 7 says, rooted and built up in him. So he goes from this idea of being rooted, this agricultural term, to construction, an architectural term. Um, and, and again, I don't know Greek, but, but I know some, I have books that do, and uh, it says the Greek word here is in the present tense. And so when it says uh, rooted and built up in him, that means that, that, sh- that can be translated being built up in him. I am rooted, I continue to be rooted, and I am being built up. I am under construction. Now let's, let's think about that for a minute, because if you're like me, and you think of constru- construction, maybe bad images come into your head, right? Because inevitably, when, when I think of construction, I think of a road, and I think of delays. I, I always think of Interstate 20 uh, between Weatherford and Fort Worth. And I'm pretty sure that those 20 miles, my entire 29 years of life has been under construction. I've never been through there where, where it's not down to one lane, and inevitably I come through there about 5 or 6 o'clock. And so it's, it, it takes a while to go those 20 miles. And so I'm, I think when we think of construction, we, we have this bad, we, we get this bad idea. But what we have to understand is that construction leads to good things, right? Road construction ideally leads to better roads. It's not a whole lot of fun in the process, right? And I think it's the same way with us. As we are being built up, inevitably the construction that God's doing on our hearts is going to be painful at some times. That there are going to be some things that aren't fun about it, but it's leading to his plan. He has the plans. He has the blueprints. And, and, and as he is building you up, as we are being built up in him as individuals and as the body of Christ, there will be some painful times, but he has the completed project in mind. We've got to trust the architect. Of course, the first part of construction is laying the foundation, right? As we are being built up in Christ. When we put our faith in Christ, we're set on the rock that cannot be shaken. Our foundation is established, and from that point on, we grow in the grace of God. And, and he switched from this, as I said, from this idea of, of kind of farming and agriculture to, to construction. And he, he does this elsewhere. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So he uses these, these ideas together. And here's the thing, not only are we to be built up in Christ, and this, this word uh, built up is where we get the word uh, edify in, in English, right? So, so we are to, as we are edified in Christ, we're also called to edify one another. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So as we're built up in Christ, we should be building others up, which if you think about it, goes right back to Matthew 22, where Jesus gives the great command. Love God, love others. As you are built up in Christ, build others up in Christ as well. So we have this idea of the walk, this picture of the walk, this picture of being rooted, and then this picture of being constructed, built up in Him, and then goes on, and established in the faith just as you were taught. And this is the idea of a school, being established, being taught, retaining, being established in what you were taught, retaining the things that we were taught. Um, and in chapter 1, verse 7, tells us that Epaphras, um, just, a, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So this church at Colossae had been taught the word of God faithfully by Epaphras, by Epaphras, and now Paul is calling them to be established in what they had been taught, to let it take root, to let it build them up, be established. Um, now, these false teachers that were, that were either in this church or were attacking the church from the outside, and as, as I've said before, we don't really know exactly what that was, but there was some sort of false teaching that was threatening this church. They hadn't bought into it like Galatia had, like the churches in Galatia, but it was threatening. And so Paul wants to make sure that, that they have been established that they know what they've been taught, that they know what they believe. And then because they're rooted, because they're being built up, and because they're established in what they've been taught, they will be able to refute this false teaching. They'll be able to recognize the false teaching that's, um, that's coming their way. And, and so what we need to know is that a person cannot have an intimate relationship. You cannot have an intimate relationship apart from being in this word. You can't do it. Your, your relationship with Christ, with God, will not be solid unless you are in this book on a regular basis because this is how we learn what God is like. This is where we learn the differences between what the truth of God is and what our culture would spew out as truth. This uh, psychological mumbo-jumbo, I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay, According to the Bible, I'm not okay, you're not okay, we're not okay, but Christ makes us okay. We, we've got to be in here so that we can recognize false teaching when it comes up, whether it's from a pulpit or from the world. So I've, I've, I've said from the beginning, um, and, and you will continue me, continue to hear me say this. Be in the Word for yourself. Don't just take for face value what I say, uh, that, that what I say is coming out of here. Know it for yourself. That's, that's my accountability, is that you know the Word of God, so that should I say something, because I am not infallible, I am not 
um, above making an error here or there. I do, my, I do my work to be in the study to make sure that, that, that what I am presenting to you is the Word of God, but, but I alone am not infallible, so I need that accountability for you to be in the Word for yourself so that if I say something that's off, you can say, um, let's look at this together. Make sure that this, is, that this is coming from the Word of God. Don't just show up to church for an hour, listen to what I have to say, and, and take it hook, line, and sinker. Be in this Word for yourself. Know it. Be established in what you were taught. Without a knowledge of God's Word, we will be easily deceived by Satan. And we need to know something about Satan. He is crafty. He is smart. And if you go back um, to Jesus' temptation in the desert, do you remember what Satan used to tempt Jesus? He used Scripture. When Satan is tempting Christ, he uses Scripture. When he tempts him to throw himself off the temple, he uses Scripture and says, look, it says right here, you won't be hurt. If you're the Messiah, you won't be hurt. Don't, you know, all that you're about to go through, don't, don't you want to know? It's, it's promised. Don't, don't you want to know? And, and what does Jesus do? He responds with Scripture. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan is crafty. He, he's not going to come at you with teaching that is noticeably false on the surface. He's too smart for that. He's going to take the word of God and he's going to twist it in such a way. We see this happening, don't we? You, you hear me talk about prosperity preachers all the time, but listen, this is taking root in our culture. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be healthy. He, he wants you to be rich. He wants you to be comfortable so that you can then make other people come. If you're going to bless others, don't you need to have money to bless others? So, so God wants to make you rich so that you can bless other people. And uh, in our Sunday school this morning, we looked at Habakkuk, where Habakkuk cries out to God, why aren't you doing anything? And God says, I'm about to do something. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your day that you wouldn't believe. Even if I told you, I imagine Habakkuk going, yes, God's going to do something. And then God goes, I'm going to destroy you. Wait, um, it's not what I had in mind. <laughs> that's, that's not, hold on, no, no, you won't, you can't do that. And, and at the end, when, when Habakkuk finally has his will aligned with God's, he says, though the fig leaf should fail, though, though, the, um, though the flocks be scattered, though the herd be killed, though I'll lose everything, I will still praise you. That's what the Word of God tells us. Then we looked in 2 Corinthians, Paul's testimony, where he talks about being, uh, receiving five times the, the 40 lashes minus one, and how he was shipwrecked twice, and how he was in danger in the country, and in danger in the city, in danger from uh, pagans, in danger from false brothers, and, and he was shipwrecked twice, and, and all this stuff he goes through, everywhere Paul went, he was in danger, and yet what does he do? He sticks to the word of God. We, we've got to be firm in this. As Jesus said, we've got to build our house upon the rock so that when the storm comes, 
be very clear, not if the storm comes, when the storm comes, it won't be shaken. Be established. Be in this word for yourself. I, I promise you, I, I'm doing my best to, to teach this faithfully, but, but as I said, I need the accountability. Be in the word for yourself. Don't rely on me to grow you spiritually. That's not my job as a pastor. My job as a pastor is to, to guide us and to shepherd us as we study together, but, but it's your responsibility to take care of your personal relationship with Christ. And I will do all I can to help you, but I, I can't mature you on my own. You, you've got to, you have to take responsibility for your own growth. You have to take responsibility to know this word for yourself. So then we finish up verse 7. Uh, he said, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This word abounding is the same word overflowing. So the picture here is a river that's spilling over its banks. Now, if you look back at these, most of these are internal, right? Your, your walk, being rooted, being built up, being established, that's, that's internal. And then this last picture, this, this picture of abounding in thanksgiving is the external. That as we are walking in Christ, as we are rooted in Christ, as we're being built up, as we're being constructed in Him, and as we are established in the faith, just as you were taught, that you would abound with thanksgiving to God. That others would see your life giving praise, giving thanks to God, and it would cause them to turn to Christ as well. This should be the result of all these previous pictures. Um, if you'll go with me to John chapter 4, Jesus um, used this picture of, of our thanksgiving being like a well, being like water, um, John chapter 4. If you remember John 4, uh, Jesus and the woman at the well. Um, we're going to pick this up in, in verses 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then Flip over a couple of pages to John 7. Starting in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him had word to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Started off in chapter 4, talking to the woman at the well, um, will become a well. And then in chapter 7, it will become, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. A river 
that's spilling over its banks cannot help but affect the landscape around it. In the same way, if, if you are abounding in thanksgiving, if, if the rivers of thanks are overflowing in your heart, you cannot help but affect those around you. Um, as I said, we're getting ready to look at another picture of the gospel. Um, we're not going to do a, a full-blown invitation. I'm going to ask Billy to come and, and play uh, just softly as, as we prepare our hearts and prepare our minds to receive the Lord's Supper. So, Billy, if you'll, if you'll come. Nancy, I just want us to, to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want to, I do want to open the altar just for a short while um, as we reflect, as we prepare our hearts. And, um, my prayer is that just as these verses have said, that you, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, you would walk in Him. You'd be rooted and built up in Him. You'd be established in the faith just as you were taught. That you would, because of all this, be abounding in thanksgiving. as we prepare to take this symbol, this meal. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 and 29, that whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So let's take a few moments and examine ourselves, examine our hearts. Maybe you just need to be reminded that, that you have been rooted in Christ. You are still rooted in Christ. Established. Maybe you need to make a commitment to become established in the Word of God, to have, to, to take your um, knowledge of the Word, your foundation in the Word um, as your responsibility. Spend just a few moments in prayer and then we will take this meal. Father, I thank you for the pictures that you've given in your word this morning. Help us as we walk with you, as we walk in you. Remind us that, that we don't take this journey on our own, but that you're with us each and every step of the way. And, and if we are believers, you have sent your Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And I pray not only would we walk with you, but that we would be rooted with, 
with roots that go deep in the gospel. We would know for sure that, that our foundation is firm as we are built up in you, that we would um, make it a priority to spend time in your word, to know what your word says to us, uh, that we might be established in our knowledge of the faith, in our um, ability to give a defense, as the Bible says, of, of the hope that we have. That all that might cause us to be like rivers spilling over their banks. We'd be abounding in thanksgiving. Father, I pray for this time as we enter into this picture, this symbol of your body that was broken for us, your blood that was spilled for us, that, that this would be worship, that we would uh, celebrate this together, the, the fact that you have forgiven us through Christ Jesus, your Son. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. We are located at 223 Oak Street, and we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings for Sunday school at 945 and worship at 11. You can reach us at 374-9285 or at fbcclayton.com.